2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Okay? All right, we've been, uh, we started a theological s- series a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're discussing biblical doctrine. The first one was the introduction to biblical doctrine. The second one was the doctrine of revelation. Last Sunday, the doctrine of revelation. And today will be the doctrine of the scriptures. So we're getting theological on you, okay? Amen. Which is what? The study of God, the science of God. Okay, the doctrine of scriptures. Second Peter chapter 1. Beginning with verse 20 and 21. If you're there, say praise the Lord. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And that doesn't mean the Bible is not to be interpreted. What that means is that it didn't come by the will of man. It was God breathed, okay? It was a revelation of God. That's what it means. It tells us how we receive the scripture. So again, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, we come before right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. God, we thank you for inspiring us with your spirit to teach it. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, we will not finish this morning on the doctrine of Scripture. It's too lengthy, so we'll go. We'll get started. We'll see how far we can go, uh, giving you understanding as to the teaching of the doctrine of Scripture. Now, first of all, let's talk about the word Bible. If you've got a Bible, hold it up. I have a Bible in my hand today. Okay. All right, this is a Holy Bible. Bible is an English word that is not in the Bible. Okay? It is an English word that comes from the Greek word biblios. Biblios is in the Bible. And simply, biblios simply means book or books. So, Bible is the English translation of the Greek word biblios, which means simply a book. So this is a book, a biblios. Are you with me? Now, even though the English word Bible is not in the Bible, biblios is in the Bible. And I'm not going to go through all the scriptures and and show them to you, but for example, we have in the Old Testament, it's called the book of, in the New Testament, Moses, the law of Moses is called the book of Moses. In the New Testament, we have the book of Psalms. We have the book of Isaiah. It's actually called that. You remember reading in the Bible in the New Testament where it says the book of Moses or the book of Isaiah or the book of Psalms? Y'all remember that? Or the book of the seven seals scroll? Well, so the word book there in the English, the Greek behind that is biblios. Okay, so that's where you got the term Bible from and it simply means a book. So what we have today is 66 books that make up this one book the Biblios called the Bible alright everybody knows that though you knew that before I told you right okay so let me give you I'm going to give you a few scriptures to write down 
uh, where you can find this word used in the scripture. We have the book of Moses in Mark 12, 26. We have the book of Isaiah, Psalms, Prophets, Law, the book of the law, the volume of the book. We have the blood sprinkle book, Hebrews 9, 19. We have the book uh, to the seven churches, Revelation 1, 11. We have a little book, Revelation 10, 5 through 10. We have a seven-seal book, Revelation 5, 1 through 10. And we have the prophecy of this book, Revelation 22, 7. So every time that term is used next to the scripture, that is the Biblios, or that is the Bible. I think you understand that, correct? Now, the Bible is also called the Word of God. It's alluded to or called the Word of God over 2,000 times. Okay? So what we have in this book, the Biblios, is the Word of God. Okay? How many of y'all believe it's the Word of the Lord? Many times you will see in the Bible where men say, and God said, or they will say, and the Lord spake unto me. So it is very clear that what we have here is God's Word to us. Okay? Amen. Over 2,000 times, it is alluded to as the Word of God or so on and so forth in that manner. Now, when Jesus comes into the world, he doesn't say, and the word of the Lord came unto me, like the prophet, so on and so forth. When Jesus speaks, he said, I say unto you. Well, why didn't he say, the word of the Lord came unto me? For example, if you look at the book of Ezekiel, you'll see that phrase used over and over and over and over in the book of Ezekiel. Um, the word of the Lord came unto me. Son of man, the word of the Lord came unto me. But Jesus said, I say unto you, because he's the living word. So he didn't say the word Lord came unto me, because he is the living word of God. Okay? So in the area of the doctrine of Scripture, we understand how we got the term Bible, Biblios. We need to understand that this is the word of God. It's alluded to as the word of God over 2,000 times. It is also called the Scriptures. Now, Scriptures mean writings. Let's go to Romans 1. The scriptures, the writings, in Romans 1, it is called the Holy Scriptures. So go over to Romans 1 and 2. The Holy Scriptures, all right? I'll just read one in Romans 1 and verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So here, the Bible or the Word of God is called Scripture. And that means simply, that word means writing or writings. Sometimes it's called Scripture. Sometimes it's called the Scriptures, plural. Sometimes it's called Holy Scripture. In contrast to the writings of other men. What we have in the Scripture is the writing of God's Word. Okay, you understand that? And then we see in Peter, go to Peter. Uh, it's called the Oracle of God. And this is 1 Peter 4, 11. First Peter 4 and verse 11 tells us how we are to speak. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So here... The Word of God is called the oracles of God. Now, the word oracle is what? Anybody remember what that means? 
oracle means the speaking place of God. All right, so the scripture, the Bible, the word of God is also called the oracle of God because this is the speaking place of God right here. Okay? You understand that? In the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies, where the Ten Commandments were located, was also called the Holy Oracle because that's where God spake from. So an oracle is uh, the speaking place of God. So the scripture tells us first, uh, Peter, here in uh, chapter 4 and verse uh, 11, that we are to speak as the oracles of God. So that is what we have here in the Word of God. The Bible, the scriptures, is the speaking place of God. This is God speaking to man. Now, this Bible is divided up into two sections. It's divided in as an Old Testament and a New Testament. Correct? 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, for a total of 66 books in the Bible. Divided two ways. Old Covenant, Covenant of Law. New Covenant, Covenant of Grace. Does that make sense to you? Now, there are nine covenants in the Bible, but the Bible is, it seems to um, teach us the primary two covenants of law and grace in it, okay? So that seems to be the focus of God's dealing with man, law and grace. So even though there's nine different covenants in the Bible, we have an old covenant connected to law, we have a new covenant connected to grace. You understand that? that seems to be the primary way that God deals with man is we have law and we have grace. Does that make sense to you? If it does, say praise the Lord. Okay. That's why you have two divisions. Now, I think what I need to do, though, is go over and show you. Let's go to Hebrews 9. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. We have reference to the first testament. I know this is real basic, but it's good for us to go over this and learn uh, about our Bibles. Amen. The doctrine of Scripture. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Okay, are you there? this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament so we have what the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the what first testament so we have the first testament but we have in the starting part of that verse we have the New Testament so the first testament then is often called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant because the Bible clearly states that what we have in the you know, starting with Matthew on through, what we have is what? A New Testament. Here in the Scripture, the Old is called the First Testament. So it's implied that if you have a New Testament, then the First Testament is the Old Testament. That's how it's arrived at, okay? Jeremiah 31, let's go over there. Jeremiah prophesied at the time when we would have a New Covenant. Jeremiah 31. Verses 31 through 34. 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so it's prophesied in the Old Testament that there would come a new covenant. Hebrews 9 says it's a new testament. Testament and covenant is the same thing, okay? All right? It says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. What covenant is he talking about there? He's talking about the covenant of law. The, the, the covenant of Moses. Okay? That he gave to Moses. So he tells us here there's going to be a new covenant that will come. In verse 32, it will not be according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Now, God's not doing away with law in the new covenant, but he's showing you what's going to happen. Instead of having an external covenant or an external law, he's going to take that external law and put it inside of us in the new covenant. So the new covenant doesn't do away with the old covenant. What happens is God takes the old covenant and puts it inside of you in the new covenant age. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So here's, here's what he says. Um, Verse 33, But this shall not be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, so here is a prophecy in Jeremiah about a new covenant that would come and when it does, God will put his law in our inward parts. Okay, you with me there? Alright, let's talk about symbols of the scripture. Now, the scripture, uh, the word of God is symbolized by different things in the Bible itself. And God gives you these symbols to help you understand how the Word of God operates in our life. First one is Jeremiah 23, 29. And that's fire. God said in Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like as a fire. Amen. saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Okay, so here we have a symbol. You understand symbolism? Obviously God's word is not a literal fire. It's not burning up here in my hand. Correct? So that means that it's a symbol then. Fire is a symbol of the word of God. It represents the word of God in a certain way. Now, why is God's word called a fire? Because it burns up and burns out of us, purges us, and burns up anything that is contrary to its standard. Okay? So when the Word of God is being preached, it's like a fire. So that if there's anything in me, anything in the church, 
that is not according to its standard, then what's going to happen to that is going to be burned up. It's going to be consumed. It's going to be purged from us and from the church. Okay? As long as we're walking in the Word of God and we're walking in the truth, we don't have to worry about it. But if at any time our lives go contrary to God's Word or anything going on in the church is contrary to the Word of the Lord, then God's Word will come a fire, man. And it'll come, go through our midst and it will purge. It will burn up anything that is not according to the standard of His Word. Okay? Now we see another symbol in verse 29. He said, Is not my word like a uh, fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Now the word of God, is this a hammer today in my hand? No, not a literal hammer, but it's, a, it's symbolized as a hammer. And the Bible says the word of God is like a hammer, and it's going to break the rock in pieces. That simply tells us that anything that is not of God is going to be crushed. It's going to be pulverized by the Word of God. It's going to be like a hammer against rock. Okay? I heard a missionary uh, talking uh, long ago about how he went in the mission field. He preached and he preached and he preached. I think it was about 10 years. He had absolutely no converts. Nothing at all. Can you imagine going to the mission field and preaching and not having one convert? I mean, most people give up after one year. But the Lord gave him this verse. And he said, It's not my word like a hammer. It breaks and breaks the rock in pieces. And what the Lord showed him was is that every time you got up and preached the word of the Lord, it was like a hammer beaten against hard hearted people. And he said, Here's what he said when you take a hammer to rock and you hit it, the first time you hit it doesn't look like anything's happening to it. It's like the rock is, you know, it stays intact, it doesn't break. But every time you hit that rock with a hammer, it's weakening. Okay? And he said, finally, after 10 years of preaching and preaching and preaching, and the Word of God being like a hammer hitting the rock, okay, of that, uh, of those people, all of a sudden it just got weaker and weaker and weaker, and people's hearts were softened, and he had tremendous revival. Okay? So God's Word has to be likened to a hammer because of the hard-hearted situation because our hearts are like rocks, amen, unconverted. And so that rock, that hammer is just going to keep hitting. And it's going to hit, and it's going to hit, and it's going to hit. And pretty soon that hard rock is going to soften, and it's going to pulverize. Okay, say praise the Lord. So that's why it's called a hammer here. It smashes everything that is evil, and it softens the hearts of people. Let's go to another one, and this is Psalm 119, 105. The Word of God is like a lamp. Psalm 119. One oh five. He says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Now why is God's word likened to light then? Because we are surrounded by darkness. Okay, so what the word of God becomes to us then as we go through darkness, the darkness of this life, God's word is lighting our path. Okay? It is a lamp. Scripture says, look at it carefully. 
Thy word is a lamp unto what? My feet and a light unto my pathway. It's first a lamp unto your feet, which means God doesn't show you everything in the future. He only shows you one step at a time. Okay? So you're surrounded by darkness, but because you have the Word of God as a lamp, He's going to show you, okay, you can take this next step. He doesn't show you, you know, way up there, right? It's First, it's a lamp. First, it's a lamp. One step at a time. It's a lamp to my feet. And they literally did this. They would take uh, some type of candle and they would put it on the tops of their feet as they were walking in the night. That way they could see what was just in front of them as they took steps. Okay, for us, it would be like a flashlight. You take a flashlight and put it on your feet and you walk like this and you can see what? You can only see what's in front of you one step at a time. So first of all, it's a lamp unto your feet and then it becomes a light to your pathway. It lightens up the broader and the larger. But you have to understand the way God works. He starts out just showing you one step at a time. You have to walk by faith in the word of the Lord and then as you do you begin to see the whole path okay alright so we're, how many of y'all understand we're surrounded by darkness and we need God's word to be a lamp in James 1 go there 23 the symbol here is a mirror Alright, James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament. And he says, For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner he was. Okay? So we see here God's word is likened unto a mirror or a glass. Well, what does a mirror do? Well, number one, it tells you who you are, but it also reveals to you what you can become. So when I look into the Word of God, I see myself in the Word of God. Now, when he says right here, a man beholding himself, this, verse 23, look at it, if any man be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. The word man here is an honorable man. So we're not looking at our fallenness. When you look into the mirror of God's word, you're looking at your newness. Who you are as a new creation in the word of God. It shows you who you are and it shows you what you can become. Does that make sense? Now obviously the word of the Lord can be used as a mirror in the sense that you see yourself, you know, go to the mirror you see you need to clean your shave you go to the mirror you see you need to comb your hair or whatever right mirrors help you correct your appearance so the word of God does work that way because it does reveal when things are out of place but its primary purpose is to show you your newness not your oldness because if, if you every time you come to the word of the Lord all you see is your old self that's not going to get you anywhere you're just going to walk away condemned every time. But if you go to the Word of the Lord and you look in it and you see 
your newness, your new man, the new creation, the honorable man that has been renewed in the spirit, then you will live like that new person that you're looking at. You won't live like the old person because when you see your newness in the mirror of God's word, you say, that's who I am. I'm not that old person. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's called the mirror in James 1. All right, and then in 1 Peter 2, it's called milk. First Peter 2. 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So here the word of God is likened unto milk, and milk nourishes the young. So when you read the word of God, especially if you're a new convert, it's likened to milk for a new believer. So when, when you become a new believer and you read the word of the Lord, it will nourish you like a little baby's being fed milk. Okay, say amen. Now, meat belongs to the, the, the mature. It belongs to the strong and the mature. But milk belongs to babes. So milk, aren't you glad God's word is like milk? When you first came into the Lord, praise God, then it nourishes you. I thank God for that. Okay? It's likened into a rod, Revelation 11, 1 and 2. John says this, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Okay? Now, God's word is the standard. It's the rod. The rod he's talking about here is a measuring rod. And what God does with his word as a rod, he says, okay, number one, I'm going to measure what belongs to me temple that's being measured here in the book of Revelation is what belongs to him. That's not the world. He said, you leave that out. The court of the Gentiles, he said, you leave that out. You don't measure that because that's given to the world. He said, but the naos, the holy of holies, the temple of God, he said, you measure that because that belongs to me. And that measuring rod is a standard. Okay? So what the Lord does with his word, when it's preached and it's taught or it's read, it is a standard of measurement for those that belong to him. I belong to God. God has a standard that he requires in my life. And I need to measure up to that standard. And the word of God tells me what that standard is, what that measurement is. He measures every one of us. He measures you this morning. He measures me. I could use it like this. We're weighed in the balance is really. Okay, it's a standard of measurement, the Word of God is. Alright? Where do we meet in the standard of that? God has a standard. It's not, it's not my standard, it's God's standard. The Word of God sets the standard. Not your pastor. The Word of God sets the standard. Okay? You understand that? Alright. Praise the Lord. Let's go to James 1.18. Back up there. So in James 1.18, it's like in the seed. 
of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Okay? Praise the Lord. So we are begotten Verse 18, of his own will beget he us with the word of truth. So this word begetting is connected to seed. Okay, do you understand that? All right, verse 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted, or literally, the word can be translated implanted. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So we're begotten by the word and the word of God is implanted in us so it becomes a seed now the word of God as seed then does what number one it germinates seed germinates right okay so the word of God goes forth as you receive it with meekness it's implanted inside of you or engrafted in you and as that word is implanted or as it's engrafted in you it germinates and then it produces life. So ultimately then, the word of God likened to seed is a germinating thing that produces life, even eternal life. Okay? So when the word of God is preached and that seed is planted in you, it is a seed of eternal life. It will literally produce eternal life in you. If you receive it with meekness, with, you understand, the implanted word, which is able to do what? Save your souls. That's the power of the Word of God when it's preached, okay? All right, it's like unto a sword, Hebrews God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, how many of y'all like to be criticized? Anybody in here like to be criticized? Well, the Bible says the word of God is like a sword. It divides the sep it separates the soul and the spirit. Okay? And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It means that word discerner means critic. So what happens is the word of God comes, it's like a sword, man. It does the work. It separates. You understand? The soul and the spirit, and it criticizes our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Nobody likes to be criticized because we're full of pride. You criticize something, then I don't want to be criticized. Yeah, I want to be criticized. I want to be critiqued by the word of the Lord because it will show me what my thoughts are about, my intentions are about. It's God's word that does that. So oftentimes you'll come to the, to the house of God and you'll hear it preached. And you're going, whoa, who talked to him? How did you know I was thinking that? 
you know? How do you know that, that that was going on in my life? Well, it wasn't necessarily the man that knew it. It was the Word of God that knew it. And the Word of God goes, and it's all right, now you're not thinking right. You're not talking right. And, and it becomes a critic. And this makes people mad. Because nobody likes to be criticized. You know? Well, for example, like when I preached on Job Wednesday night, I talked about Job's wife. You know? Hallelujah. And then I started, and then the Holy Ghost really started hitting us. You know what I'm saying? About the importance of us being, need to be where we need to be as a spouse and so on, and how we affect each other, so on and so forth. Man, when I started using that in the Spirit of God, not me, but the Spirit of God started using that to hit some of you guys. Because you thought your pastor was after you. Your pastor wasn't after you. It was the Word of God criticizing you. The Word of God read your mail. And we don't like it when the Word of God reads our mail and criticizes us, right? <laughs> but praise the Lord, you know, you might as well get happy. So it, then it's like a sword, right? sword is sharp. I mean, and it cuts both ways. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation that there's a sword coming out of Jesus' mouth when he returns. When he comes back to earth, a sword's coming out of his mouth. And the Bible says it's two-edged. That means it cuts both ways. Right? It doesn't just cut going this way. It cuts going this way. It's a sword, man. And sometimes it has to be used as a sword. It doesn't mean the pastor should enjoy beating people up and cutting them up, slicing them up. But but that's the word of the Lord, and, and at times it comes to us that way, and it's going to cut both ways, not just one direction. And I'm not saying to me. That's why oftentimes when I'm preaching to you, I'm saying this is to me. Because, I mean, it's cutting me. I'm preaching it to you, but because it cuts both ways, it's... Right? Because it's like a sword. It is a thought, it is a criticizer, a thought intent of the heart. And a lot of times don't, people don't want to believe it, you know. They want to reject it, they want to deny it. But later on it'll come out. Well then what do we do? We use the word of God. We use the word of God like a sword. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's his purpose. Alright, let's go over into Ephesians 5.26. It's like water. Ephesians 5.26. Got it? All right. Going back to the sword. The word of God never criticized any of y'all about that. I just didn't know it. That was perfect little angels, and you don't need to be criticized. So just never apply it that way to your life, did it? Okay, 526. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. He's talking about the church. He might sanctify and cleanse it. With the washing of water by the word. Say the washing of water by the word. So he's going to sanctify, he's going to cleanse it. Water cleanses. But water also refreshes. And water gives life. So the word of God, when it goes forth, man, you know, you, know, you come to church. Have you ever come to church? You know, you feel alive. You, you really feel thirsty spiritually. Like you're drying up. I need water, you know, like the psalmist says. 
As the deer pants after the water brook, so did my soul pant after thee, O God. I thirst for the living God. You ever been there? You come to the house of God, you're just so thirsty, you're, you're parched, you're dry on the inside. And all of a sudden, the word of God goes forth, and you start drinking that water in like that heart. Don't just drink it, though. You know what that, when, when it talks about, David says, as a heart pants after the water brook, so does my soul pant after thee. I thirst after thee, the living God. You know what he's saying? Think about that deer running, panting, breathing hard. His sides are lathered with sweat. Why is he running? Because the fox is chasing him. And so he says, I'm, I'm thirsty for that water. I've got to get to the water. What is that? It jumps inside the water and sticks its nose up out of the water just enough to breathe. And it hides itself from the from the destroyer. So the word of God is like that. It's not just like drinking it like this, but it's like something you jump into when the fox is trying to chase you down and your sides are panting, you're breathing hard, and you're lathered up on the side. You've got to find a place of refuge to hide. You jump in the water and hide. The wolf doesn't see you because you're submerged in the water. They literally do that. So God's word is like unto water. It refreshes, it cleanses, it saves, it gives life. It's likened unto gold. Job 28 and 1. We're in the book of Job on Wednesday nights. Thank God for it. It seems like everything that I preach anymore is right on time. Job 28 and 1. It's considered a poetry book in the Old Testament. Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. Alright? So here in 28.1, the word of God is going to be... Now, there is natural gold and there's natural silver, but the word of God is likened unto gold. It's likened unto silver, right? Well, what does that tell you? It's priceless. It teaches you the value of it. How many of y'all would get excited if you found one little nugget of gold? You went out in the mountains somewhere... There's some of you who are outdoorsmen here today. You like to get out and, in the outdoors and you like to hike, climb up in the mountains and, and look for stuff like that, you know. And then all, all of a sudden you come across a nugget of gold. You'd be excited about that, wouldn't you? You wouldn't come here, would you? Like some of you do. You don't need anything to happen in your life to come looking like that. You look like that all the time. When something happens in your life, it just gets worse, you know. But anyway, you find a nugget of gold, you're not going to come, you're not going to be sad about it. You're going to be excited about it. You're going to be thankful. Well, then what if you go a little bit further and you find another nugget of gold? And another nugget of gold. Pretty soon you've got a big old sack full of gold, right? Be pretty happy about that, correct? Well, the Word of God is like that. It's priceless. It's one nugget of gold after a nugget of gold after a nugget of gold. And when we come to the word, come to the house of God and the word of God is preached, you are receiving gold nuggets. Amen? Not because of the man that speaks, but it's the word of God that's the gold. 
And man, you're just loading up with gold. You're just putting it in your pockets, in your shirts, everything else. Hallelujah. If you jump in the water, then you come out and you got gold in your pockets and everything else. That's the word of God. It's, it's priceless. You can't put a price. You cannot put a price on the word of God. It's a priceless thing. It's like gold. All right. Amen. Say praise the Lord if you believe it. How many of y'all have gold in your pocket this morning? Revelation 10.10 10 is likened unto honey. Anybody like honey out there? Another symbol for the Word of God. I took the little book out of the angel's hand. Ah, yeah. See, remember we talked about the little Biblios, little Bible? What are you saying here? I took the little Bible, the Biblios, out of the angel's hand and ate it up. It was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So he said when he received the word of God, it was like honey to the taste but bitter to the inner man. Okay? Because what he was going to prophesy, John was going to prophesy again. That really means say the same thing again. Okay? He's going to re-preach in 11, the 11th chapter of Revelation to the end of the book of Revelation. He's going to go over the same ground that he had already covered in Revelation 1 through 10. So when the Lord says prophesy again, it's literally saying you're going to say the same thing over again, but there's going to be more detail. That's the way you interpret the book of Revelation. First 10 chapters, he preaches a certain message, and then 11 through 22, he goes over it again, but he gives you more detail. Okay? So when he receives that word, it's like honey to the taste, but there's judgments in it. There's judgments in the book of Revelation that are going to come on man. Heavy judgments from God. When he, when he sees the suffering of mankind that's going to take place in the future, in the times of Revelation, it made him sick at the stomach. Okay? The inner man, he was bitter to the inner man. There are things that are coming on this world that are going to be bitter. Okay? And that's what John saw when he saw the judgments of God begin to come upon this earth. He said, but it's sweet because it's bringing the kingdom of God. It's bringing the fulfillment, fulfillment of the promises and prophecies of God to pass. So it's sweet because the Lord is going to come back. The Lord is going to set up his kingdom. But it's bitter because judgments are going to be associated with that second coming. So he said it was like honey to the taste, but it was bitter to the inner man. And you know how it is when the word of God is preached. It's, it's sweet. Are you with me? It's sweet sweet. Amen? But that old nature doesn't like that. It's bitter to the old nature, but it's sweet to the new man. Say praise the Lord. Now, to illustrate this, when the Jewish people tried to teach their children the word of the Lord, you know what they did? They got a tablet with letters on it. Okay? And they, and not the kind of tablet that I have here. I'm talking about like a stone tablet or a clay tablet. And the letters were carved out in that tablet. And they would pour honey on top of it. And they would read the scriptures on that tablet 
with a little pen and they would trace it out. Those children would trace out the Word of God with this little pen. And as they went, they would put it to their mouth and trace it. Okay? There was a scripture covered in honey and they would taste it. They would, they would copy it out and taste it. So it would teach them that the Word of God was sweet to the taste. It's like honey. And you'll want to get it inside. Don't just hear it externally. Don't let it be outside of you. But when the word of God goes forth, be like those little kids with their pens and the honey on the tablet, putting it inside of them. And so that's why John, when he was showed this, you know, he said it was sweet to my taste. He said, I gotta eat it. I gotta take it. I gotta put this book and I gotta swallow it. And once I swallow it, once I get it inside, then I can preach it. But I can't preach it until I get it in here first. So I'm going to eat it like honey. Okay? And then once he ate it, then he could go forth and he could declare it. And that's what I oftentimes tell the young preachers, that you've got to eat the word. You've got to eat it. You've got to get it inside of you. And then it will assimilate. It will become a part of who you are. So that when you stand up and preach, it's not just coming from here. You have digested it. You have assimilated it into your life. And so that when it is preached, it becomes powerful. Because it's not just the word that's coming out of your head. It's coming out of a life. It's been digested. It's been assimilated. And now you can declare it to people. And so the Lord told John, he said, you take that little book, you eat it. Just like he told Ezekiel. He told Ezekiel to do the same thing. Ezekiel took that little book and he ate it. He had to assimilate it, get it in his hand, and to declare it to the people. But it's like honey. How many know that it's sweet? But sometimes when it's preached or you read it, it goes against that old nature. And it's Praise the Lord. The old nature doesn't like it, does it? The new man does. Right, does everybody understand that? It's like him and the honey. It's sweet. An ox goad. Go to Ecclesiastes 12.11. An ox goad. I remember what an ox goad is, right? The Apostle Paul know, knows what that was like because he said when he was knocked to the ground, he said he was kicking against the pricks. He was fighting God. He was res resisting God. And when he says he was kicking against the pricks, that means he was kicking against the ox goat. The ox goat is what leads the oxen in the right direction. It's what prods them to do what they need to get done. It's what allows them to get the job done. Okay? So if you can, and I'm not going over it in the book of Acts and reading it to you, but if you remember Paul, he's over here and he thinks he's doing God's will, right? He's killing Christians. But God said, you're kicking against the pricks. That ox goat. You're fighting my word. And every time you do, you're only hurting yourself. Because you're kicking back. You know what that ox goat is, right? It's a big old long thing. And uh, if you're kicking back at it, it's pointed, it's going to hurt you. So the word of God is likened to an ox goat. It's that tool that causes the oxen to get the job done. If they kick against it, it's hurting themselves. Brother Thomas probably, you've seen Oxford, haven't you, Brother? And you know what I'm talking about, you know? 
And have you ever seen a kick against it? No, they normally, how do you, how do you, do you prick their heel, keep them going a certain way, or, or is it just they're a different case? Different case. But it ultimately is to make sure that they are doing the job. Okay? If, it, if they start going wrong, then you just, you know, kind of prod them a little bit, get them straightened out there. Ecclesiastes 12.11. Are you there? The words of the wise are as goads. And I'll stop there. The words of the wise are as goads. They're like that ox goad. So the word of God then, what it does is it comes into our life and it pricks us at times. But its ultimate purpose is to keep us in the right path. And it's to keep us going. It's to keep us uh, going in God's will and doing God's will. Get the job done. God's word will be used that way. And then read a little bit further. So the words of the wise are as goats, and then as nails, fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. That is one of the most powerful statements concerning the scripture that I think that I, someday I'm going to preach that to you. It is a powerful statement that's being made here. But anyway, he likens the word of God to a nail here. Now, what do you do with a nail? Well, the prophets talked about Jesus Christ would be a nail in a sure place. It also talked about the, the false shepherd or the Antichrist. The Antichrist, if you hang on him, it's going to collapse. Okay? But Jesus is not the nail that will let you down. He's not the false Christ. He is the true Savior and the true Christ. He's a nail in a sure place. So the picture is hanging your life on Him. Hanging yourself on Him. And if you do, it won't come down crashing because it's a nail in a sure place. It will support you. It will uphold you. Say praise the Lord. So the Word of God is likened into to a nail to hang on. That's likened into bread in Matthew 4, 4. Go to Matthew. New Testament. Right. You remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness? He was fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Then afterward, he was tempted. Okay? And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then he's tempted by the devil. Now, what does the devil do? Well, he knows Jesus is hungry. So he tempts the Lord to turn these stones in the wilderness into bread and eat them. Right? And the Lord's response to the devil is... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's a proceeding word that comes out of the mouth of God. It's a rhema word. So here, Matthew 4, verse 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So here the word of God then is likened in the bread. And it is, it's the staff of life. Bread is known as the staff of life and it is to be eaten every day. 
so in God's word is likened unto bread, and it's given me life. It's the staff of life, but it has to be eaten every day. If you don't eat this bread every day, think about it. I ask you, how many of you could go a week without eating? Well, you could and survive. You could and live. But after a week of not eating anything at all, any bread, how weak would you be in a week? How weak would you be in a week if you didn't eat all week? And all of a sudden, you know, well, some of you make it to Wednesday night service. All right, so you got Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But you haven't read the Word of God for three days. Okay? Well, what if you miss Wednesday? Then you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You've gone a whole week, and if you haven't read that Bible, when you come to church, you are going to be weak spiritually. If you want to be strong, you have to stay in the Word of the Lord on a daily basis because it is a staff of life. You can't survive. And I shared this with you. When I first got in the church, I remember standing on the curb uh, in front of my house, and my pastor drove up, and he saw me there, and I was talking to him about the things of the Lord, and uh, I mentioned to him that I was reading my Bible through. And he told me, he said, you're going to make it. And I said, you mean to tell me that just by reading the Bible that I'm going to make it? He said, you're going to make it. I will never forget that. I don't think he understood how powerful that was to me. Powerful statement that he made to me. And so I just stayed with it. I kept reading the Bible. And I was only 18, 19 years of age. And I stayed in the Bible. And I stayed in the Bible. And I stayed in the Bible. It's a staff of life to get you strength. But you've got to be in it on a daily basis. Now obviously, God called me to preach this book. He called me to hand it out. He called me to give it out. So you can imagine how much I love it. I love this Bible. And I pray that you love this Bible. How many of y'all like bread? Good bread. I like good bread. You know, some of, some of you ladies cook bread. And you go in that house and it smells like, it smells so good, right? You know what they say if you want to sell your property, if you want to sell your house, you know what you do? Bake some fresh bread and invite people over to come and look at your house and you will sell that property. I'll tell you the truth. There's something about bread. Listen, everybody can tell when you've been eating bread. Everybody, everybody can tell if you've been in this Bible or not. You don't have to be a prophet to know it. You can look at a person's life. Are they healthy? Are they full of life? Are they strong in the Lord? It is because they have a steady diet. I've already challenged you to read the whole Bible through if you have not done that this upcoming year. Amen. Say praise the Lord. How many of y'all want to be strong? Tired of being weak? How many want to make it in the Lord? I do. Get in the bread. Pearl. It's likened unto a pearl. Matthew 7, verse 6. Now remember this statement from Jesus. He tells you not to cast your pearls before swine. 
So he says there, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and wound you. The good word of God is like many pearls. He says, Don't cast your pearls before swine. You know, long time ago when I lived out west of town, we had pigs. And I got to slop the pigs out of town. I mean, I don't know what that means, but anyway. Slop of the pigs means, you know, you mix up this all kinds of crazy food, right? I mean, it's just, you wouldn't believe. We took old rotten cabbage and everything else, produce, and just into a, you know, a pill and mix it in, and oh, just a big old mess. Pour it in the, in the, in the trough, and man, they just go after it. It's so good. You know, and they're, they're walking in the mud and everything else. Well, if you take, you know, gold or you take a pearl or a diamond or anything and you throw it out there in the hog pen, they're not going to look at that and say, wow, that's valuable. A pig's not going to see it as anything valuable. You know what they're going to do? They're just going to push it right down in the mud. And you're sitting there saying, hey, that was a diamond. You and you realize you just put the diamond into the mud, a piece of gold, a pearl? They don't know it. They just push it under the mud. That's why Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give the word of God to people who do not value it. Because all they're going to do is they're going to just push it into the mud. Okay? Now, we need to be a witness. We need to preach the word of God. We need to tell people about God and his word. But you can discern if they don't value it. There are times when I'm talking to people about, you know, about God, about the things of God, and I can just tell they don't want to go there. You know what I do? I shut up. You know why? Because I know they're not valuing what I'm saying. And Jesus is very clear that we're not to cast our pearls before swine because they're just going to trot them underfoot, take them into the mud. How many of y'all value the word of God? You know, it's a pearl that we put value on, right? You know, trapped it under feet. You think about a diamond, I mean a pearl, where is it made? In a clam, right? In a clam? Oyster? I don't know. One of the two. But that pearl is made. A little piece of sand gets in it, gets irritated. And that, that little clam starts coating it, right? Coating that irritation. And it's harvested by being broken up in blood and water. It comes out. The analogy, of course, is that the church is a pearl also that came out of the side of Jesus' blood and water. But the point is, the Word of God is like unto a pearl, and it is created in dark places. As in when it's brought up and it's seen in the light, that pearl that was made in dark places, you can see all the colors of the rainbow in it. And so when God's word is likened into a pearl, it's something that was that is, you know, has been brought out from the depth. And then it's seen in the light, all the beautiful colors of the rainbow. Okay, praise the Lord. But we want to take that and cast it to the swine, people who don't value it at all. All right, let's go on and let's see in Hebrews 6, we have it as an anchor. The anchor of the soul, Hebrews. 6.18 Sure and steadfast. Now what is an anchor for? Well, you 
eternity. Aren't you glad? Yes, sir. Aren't you glad if you are in a storm that you have one? It's like he said, if you don't have an anchor in a storm, man, that boat's going to be pushed and it's going to be crashed against a rock. But an anchor, sure and steadfast, the Word of God is likened that to the believer so that when you and I get in storms, Secure us, he'll secure us in those things. Okay, Hebrews, let's go there. Six. Verse 18 that by two immutable things, the word immutable means unchanging, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And which entered into that within the veil. Amen. All right. So the the word of God is like an anchor. I thank the Lord for it because I get in storms at times, and that's the only thing that's holding me in that storm. If I didn't have His word, I I would be drifting off. I'd be crashed upon the rocks. You know. But the, but the word of God has it anchored me. Amen in that place, in that storm. It holds me. I'm glad today that it holds me. It's likened unto a star. Revelation 2.28. Revelation 2.28. This church here. Church of Thyatira. Covet you overcome. Church of Thyatira. I will give him the morning star. Say the morning star. Uh, the morning star is the star that, that, that appears right before sunrise. Okay? It, it's really a planet. It's Saturn. And it, it appears right before sunrise. Okay? And that morning star can be used to guide you. So when he talks about he will give you the bright and morning star, he's telling you that he will guide you to Jesus. The Word of God will guide you to morning star, right before the sunrise. But it also is a picture of the rapture of the church. So that you and I are faithful to the Lord and we have been led to Him. You understand? He will rapture us. And then right at that time of the rapture He will come as the Son of Righteousness. Malachi said the healing in His beams or with healing in His rays. So he comes to church, the rapture is a bright morning star, and then he comes as the son of righteousness and he heals in his ways. You understand that? Right before the sunrise and disappears. It's to lead you to Christ. So this word of God is a bright and morning star that leads us to the Lord. It's me, Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. Verse 14, it says, But strong meats, I'll back up just a little bit. Verse 13, For everyone that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So he talks about babes nourish the young. But strong meats belong to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
So then we have the word of God. It says it's like meat. It's strong meat. Basically what he's saying there, that the meat, the word of God, is meat for the strong. And it gives you strength. Okay? A baby can't handle strong meat. That's why you have to present the word of God as milk to a baby. But when you live for the Lord for a while, you should be a mature believer, able to handle the strong meats. And we explain to you what strong meat in context of the book of Hebrews. It has to do with a knowledge and an understanding of the Melchizedek priesthood. I can get up there and I can start teaching you the Melchizedek priesthood. If you're a babe in Christ, you're not ready for that. Strong believers, mature believers are ready for that type of teaching. You have to find out in the context in Hebrews, what's he talking about when he says strong meat? Well, it's for the mature. And that has to do with the Melchizedek, the, um, the teaching and preaching of the Melchizedek priesthood. And we're going to preach that. It's on tape if you want it. Okay? So amen. So the word of the Lord is likened unto strong meat. All right. Hallelujah. So those are symbols from fire all the way down to strong meat. Just a, just a few, you know, we went through. Now, as I get ready to close, let me explain to you some terms so you'll understand terms. Now, go over back to Peter. 2 Peter 1 and verse 20. If you're on the doctrine of the scripture, remember? Delusion is that I... All right, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost moved by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost the picture is inspiration moved holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost alright say with me inspiration the word of God the Bible is inspired of God inspiration. To inspire means to breathe in. So the way we receive the word of the Lord, this Bible that we have, it was breathed into men. It was God breathed or in, inspired. Okay? To breathe in. Now, it tells us holy men of God, not just any man, but holy men of God were used by God as God moved on them by the Holy Ghost. But this will help you. It's like wind in a sail. Okay? The Spirit of God was the wind. And the wind came into the sail and it moved that boat along. Well, that's the way we have the Word of God. Inspiration has to do with recording. Recording. How it was recorded. His Word was recorded by inspiration are engraved by the Spirit of the Lord. And it was holy men that were used, not just any men, but holy men were used of God. Now, so we receive the Word of God then by inspiration. Now, the 66 books that I hold up right here in this one book, the Bible, the Bibulos, doesn't just contain the, the Word of God, 
It doesn't just contain it. It is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Now listen carefully. Every word is inspired. Every word, okay? Not just the thoughts of God and then man taking the thoughts of God and putting it into their own words. No. Every word, not just the thought of God, but every word is inspired by God from Genesis to Revelation in the original writing. This is a translation. The Bible in its original writing was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. This is an English New Testament. That means it had to be translated. But in the original writings of the Scriptures, it was God-breathed or inspired every word, not just in and not just every word, but every jot and every tittle. Every crossing of, an, of a T and every dot on an I was inspired by God. Okay? Every letter in the Hebrew language in that word was inspired by God. Now, Lord willing, next week I will talk to you about the numerical structure of the Bible that's going to blow your mind. I have, I have a numerical Bible in my office. I didn't even bring it out here today because I knew I wouldn't have time for it. But I'm going to show you in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, 13 different numerical structures of, that, of those verses. And it's going to blow your mind. Okay? Just the numerical structure of Matthew 1, 1 through 11, the chances of it happening would be 1 and 14. So when you talk about inspiration, you talk about God breathed, you talk about every word, every letter, even the structure of it's mathematic, mathematically set up because God is a master mathematician. Okay? What am I saying? Inspiration is every letter is inspired. Not just the thought in the book, but every letter of it. And I, I'm really excited about it sharing that with you, the numerical structure. Uh, Ivan Panin spent 50 years just studying the numerical structure of the Bible. And we'll talk about that next week, okay? But my point is this. This doesn't just contain the Bible. It uh, contains the Word of God. It is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And when you talk about inspiration, it's how it was recorded. It's how men wrote it down. David said this. He said, my tongue became the pen of a ready writer. God inspired, breathed into David that word, put it on his tongue. David spoke it. Are you hearing me? Inspired, in breathed by God. David received it that way. God put it on his tongue. He said it and then wrote it down. And to show you how much the Jewish people reverence the Word of God, when they made copies of it, they counted every letter in the Old Testament to make sure that when they got through a copy in the Old Testament, they counted every letter of that copy and they compared it. They knew exactly how many letters there were in there. And they could, they could determine if they had if it was an accurate copy, 
have you missed any message? They so reverence the word of God, they count it every day. Because they knew it was God breathing, not his power. And when they came to the name Yohebabhe, the holy name of God, and they wrote that down, they took their pens and the name of the Lord was in one verse of scripture. Say it was in there two or three times. Every time they wrote they didn't write That's the reverence and the respect that the Hebrews had for the word of God. Because they knew it was God. And holy men of God as God inspired or breathed them in the word of God and put it on their tongue they said it and they wrote it out. It wasn't dictation. It was inspiration. That's how you and I receive the word of the Lord. Amen. So when when he's uh, speaking here, speaking about we have God's word. It came not an old time by the will of man. Man didn't get together in his own genius and put it together. But the holy men of God spake as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost, as moved on by the Holy Ghost God. The Lord. Now, that's inspiration. Uh, let me go to another scripture here in 2 Timothy 3 16. We talk about reverence for the Word of God. We talk about loving the Word of God. We take a bath just because you wrote his name down. You count it every day. Second Timothy 3 16. If you have it, almost there. I'm only about a third of the way through this doctrine of the scriptures. A lot in it's beautiful. All scripture, St. Timothy 3.16, is given by inspiration of God, inspired breathing on and is profitable for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good so inspiration is how we how God's word was recorded. How did we get it in this in this Bible here, written down the scriptures? It was inspired. God using men, breathing into man, inspiring every letter of this Bible. Okay, and we'll talk about it as we go through this teaching here. Uh, it is without error, and we'll give you the term heard the term before, but it's without error in every area. There's no contradiction in this Bible. There is absolutely no error in this Bible. Can you imagine that? Three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Men, different cultures, different, you understand, backgrounds, history. About 1,600 years to write it down. You understand? To write it down, he said. That amount of time with 40 writers, one author. 40 writers, one author. Over 1,600 years writing from different geographies and different times and when it all came together because it was God-breathed, it was without error in any, any, any part and no contradiction in any part of this Bible. Because it was inspired. It was God-breathed. 
right? So that's how we received the Word of God, how it was recorded. Inspiration, God inspiring them to write. Now, there's another term that's used in connection with the Word of God. It's revelation. Say revelation. Now, let's go to Ephesians 1.17. Ephesians 117. If, if inspiration is how it's recorded, how the Bible is recorded, then revelation, the revelation of God, amen, is how we receive this truth. How do we receive the truth of God's word? Revelation. Inspiration is how it was recorded by Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that's illumination there in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Alright? So the word revelation is used there. I'll come back to that in a moment. Revelation is how we receive the truth from God. Okay? Man, by his own human genius or human mind, could have never known God if God had not revealed himself to man. Okay? It is God coming and showing himself, revelation, unveiling himself, uncovering himself to man, showing himself to us. There's no way by your human intellect that man would have ever known God. It had to be by revelation. So revelation then is how we receive the truth and the way we receive the truth is that God gave it. He revealed it. He uncovered it. You understand that? Okay. Inspiration then is how that revelation that has been received is recorded. You understand the difference? Now the last term and I'm going to close with this. Illumination. Revelation is how you receive it. Inspiration is how it is recorded. Illumination is how it's understood. Okay? God revealed His Word to man, and by inspiration, they recorded it, and then by illumination, they understand it. You cannot understand this Bible without the Holy Ghost. man didn't come up with this with his own mind. If man came up with this out of his own mind, he could understand what he wrote. It didn't come out of the natural mind of man. It was a revelation from God, and because it's a revelation from God, you have to have the Holy Ghost to understand it. And it's the Holy Ghost that gives you illumination. Okay? So, for example, when you're reading the Bible and you see something, it jumps off the page. And you, and, and you, that's for me right now. And uh, 
I understand what it's saying. And you say, I just got a revelation. No, you didn't. This is the revelation of God. All right? The Word of God is His revelation to man. The 66 books of the Bible. Does that make sense? And it was inspired by God. That revelation was recorded. But then to understand it, God comes by His Spirit and puts the light on it. So you can perceive it. You can understand it. That's called illumination. So when you're reading your Bible and all of a sudden, it's just like that scripture jumps off the page. I didn't see that before. Oh, I understand that. That the Spirit of God in you illuminating or giving you understanding about the Scripture. So do you understand the difference? Inspiration is how it was recorded. Revelation is a source. How we received it. Illumination is how you perceive it or how you understand it. Beautiful. Alright, let's go to Ephesians then. I told you to turn there and I'm going to close with this. Now, Ephesians does use the word revelation here, which should be illumination. I don't want to totally confuse you, but you understand. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's already revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He, Jesus is the living word, the written word leads you or points you to the living word. So we already have the revelation of God to man. Genesis, the revelation. God is not going to add to the Bible. He's not going to come to, to man and give revelation anymore. Because revelation is finished. It's complete. In the 66 books of the Bible. Do you understand that? For you to be accurate when you say, I got a revelation from God, you would say, I received more Bible. Because the word revelation has to do with the Bible. God's not giving any more Bible. He's not going to add another book tomorrow. You understand that? But what he does is he gives you illumination about his revelation. He gives you understanding about his revelation, his word that he gave to us that was inspired or recorded. You understand? Make sense? Okay. So Ephesians 1, and it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Theologically, that word means illumination. We already have the revelation in the Bible, 66 books of the Bible. And next week, Lord willing, I'll talk to you about the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha was placed in the Scripture by the Roman Catholic Church, and, and they made it a part of their Bible. And I'll explain to you the Apocrypha. Is that supposed to be a part of our Bible? We will explain. Yes or no? Next week. Okay? But what I'm trying to help you understand is that when God gave his revelation to the 66 books, he didn't, he's not going to add to that anymore for us. But what he does for us, he comes and gives us, a, a, as Paul says, revelation, but really, theologically, it's illumination. Giving you understanding of the Bible. Verse 18, he explains verse 17. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That is interpretation of verse 17. 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He illuminates it to you. That's why you have to have the Holy Ghost. We know how we receive the Bible is by inspiration. In brief, in command, they wrote it down. We know how it was recorded, inspiration. We know how we receive it by revelation, six, six, but now how do we understand it? By illumination. And God enlightens us, as he says in verse 13. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Where did that mean? That illumination comes. You cannot understand the Bible without the Holy Ghost. Tell you what's going to happen when you get the Holy Ghost. When you receive the Spirit of the Lord, you become a born again believer. This this book of books, this Biblios, this Bible here, this book. Before you become a born again believer, you read it, you read it, you read it. Then it starts to get things, and you know it. But when you get the Holy Ghost, it becomes a totally new book to you. It's sort of like this. It's like an author. God is the author of 40 writers. Say, say a man writes a book. You have his book in your library. You read his book. And it's, it's, it's a nice book. But then you meet the one who wrote the book. And then you, after you meet the one who wrote the book, you go pick up the book that he wrote and you read it again. Oh, it's a new book. Because you met the author. When you become a born-again believer, you may have read, you know, read the Bible before. But when you know the author and you read the book by the author after you know him, it becomes a totally new book to you. That's why you can't get enough of the Word of God. I mean, when I first became a born-again believer, I could not get enough of the Word of God. Just reading it all the time, day and night, just I just could not get enough of it. And before I was a born again believer, I'd read it from time to time. But now I know the author. And the, and, and the author of the book, knowing him, makes it such a whole new thing. Right? That's where illumination comes in. I'm thankful today, number one, for inspiration, revelation, and illumination by the Spirit of God. All of it comes from him. Let's stand. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you. this Bible that we have in our hands. This book of all books. The greatest of all books. The bestseller of all time. Thank you, Lord, today that we have the ability to look into its pages and discover the doctrine of Scripture, the truths honored today, Lord, that we have this Bible in our hands. We understand, Lord, there are nations today in this world that it's against the law for them to have this. Lord, we're blessed, we're privileged to be in America in a free country. To read your holy word without persecution in the church and hear it preached. Each one of us individually, Pastor Mike. Lord, let us read it 
Jesus' name. Bless you. Hope it's been a blessing to you. We'll continue next week, the Lord willing. You're dismissed to